0: Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Coffee, Crime, and Storytime. It's me, Danielle, back again with another story. It's now 2023. Christmas and New Year's has come and gone. I hope you got everything you wanted and you spent time with your loved ones and ate plenty of yummy food. With the New Year, do you have any resolutions? They say the majority of them fail, but hey... We can be the exceptions to the rule, right? What do you want to do? Or what do you want to change for 2023? My goal is to have a little more faith in myself. I was having a hard time doing this episode. I was worried about anyone listening or people's reactions to the podcast in general. I find it valuable to be authentic and truthful in all things, so I'm sharing that with you. So my New Year's resolution is to be well more resolute. With that, let's move on to our story today. It isn't an easy one, it's appalling, and it's a jarring reminder of what lurks among us. Let's talk about the Turpin thirteen. We're going to start with the main players. Bear in mind, there's very little background and full info on the case, but I'll give you what I've been able to unearth through multiple sources. David was a bright man. He was a computer engineer who went on to work for Lockheed Martin and General Dynamics. When he was young, he was an officer of the chess club and the Bible club during school of all things. Louise Turpin, in her youth, was said to have been a good daughter, but her sister mentioned that Louise had become obsessed with alcoholism and even practiced witchcraft and numerous sordid rituals. However, I myself know plenty of, um, I guess we'll say, self-proclaimed witches. They're all pretty wonderful people, so we're just going to let that go. She also stated that they were frequently abused by their maternal grandfather in exchange for money. This is said to have evolved because Louise's own mother was also abused by her father. So when she had children, the abuse moved from their mother to them as well as their cousins. David Allen Turpin and Louise Ann Turpin married when they were 23 and 16, respectfully. Um... You heard me correctly. She was 16 years old. Uh, They moved to Texas to begin their lives. And as Pentecostal Christians, they felt it was their calling to have many children. In a kind of brief overview here, from the years of 1988 to 2015, they had 10 daughters and three sons. The Turpin family initially lived in Fort Worth but moved to Rio Vista in 1999. In the beginning, the couple started abusing their children in the form of abandonment and negligence. It soon started shaping into more violent rounds of torture. After a few years of living in Rio Vista, they moved to California in 2010. In October of 2011, David and Louise renewed their vows in front of an Elvis impersonator and the couple's children at a wedding chapel in Las Vegas. A photo shows the children in uh, very similar haircuts, they're all dressed alike. The following year, the family spent the day at Disneyland and they posed for photos again, all wearing similar clothing. It's actually, for me, kind of creepy, like they're wearing the Dr. Seuss Thing 1 and Thing 2 But, you know, the numbers just keep going through the mass amount of children. Both of these photos I'm referring to can easily be found online, and they're extremely disturbing considering knowing what the kids went through. We're gonna break from the general timeline and backfill some information here. So be prepared, we're gonna bounce around a little. And as a trigger warning, we are going to be talking about some of the abuse the children endured. All of the children were given names that began with the letter J. Now, I will not be going over all of the names to help protect the kids. Once again, you wanna find them, you can find them online, but I just don't feel it's appropriate for me to share. Louisa's sister, Teresa, states that the last time she ever saw the children was in 1997. There were plenty of times where things could have been reported and weren't. Um, At one point, one of the children was in first grade, and she was constantly made fun of by the other kids. She was older than the rest of the students. She was never clean. She wore the same outfit to school every single day, and it wasn't washed. She would discuss things that were inappropriate for her age, yet no one ever notified authorities to check on the children. While they were in Rio Vista, they had a few neighbors, and some of them did try to approach or get to know the family, but the children would go back inside when they were approached by other kids. Another thing to note is neighbors noticed that the children's hands were always white, but the rest of them was always dirty. One of the children once told people that washing your hands above the wrist was wasting water. The Turpin children were only allowed to bathe once a year. They were also only fed once a day. They were completely malnourished to the point of not growing properly. And this actually has a term, it's called psychosocial dwarfism. It has to do with when your external and emotional environment uh, does not fulfill needs, and so you do not develop properly. One day, a mobile home appeared on the property around the same time that Louise gave birth to their 11th child. The 12th child quickly followed. It was at this point that David built a cage in the trailer. And then 10 of the children were left in the trailer to fend for themselves. The two youngest remained with David and Louise who moved to an apartment almost 40 miles away. The 10 older children received their instructions by phone from their parents. These 10 kids were left alone for three years. Frozen food would be dropped off at intervals by David, but he never went inside and the older children were instructed to keep the younger children in the cages. In 2010, one of the girls ran away. She was picked up by a stranger and it's said that she asked about how to get an apartment, a job, car. She had no social skills and no knowledge of the outside. It's also then said she was driven straight back to the trailer, though no one is really sure. This in itself should have raised a flag, but nothing happened and the abuse continued. At this point, David registered himself as the principal of a school called the Sandcastle Day School. The only attendees were his own children. None of the Turpin children were going to public school. Once again they were kept from the public eye. Around this time their neighbors, the vineyards, decided to go to the home and take a look inside the windows and what they found astounded them. There was human feces everywhere. There was splintered plywood, was a chalkboard in the living room, and the children's bedrooms were rows and rows of bunk beds, and there were ropes tied to the beds. There were also toys found in the house, but they were all brand new and still in the packaging, as if to taunt the kids that they weren't allowed to play with them. But let's just bear in mind again, nothing was done. Around 2014, the family moved to Paris, about 70 miles east of Los Angeles, California. The abuse escalated to beatings with belts and paddles. Uh, One of the children was thrown down the stairs by Louise, and once again they were given one meal a day that typically consisted of a peanut butter and bologna sandwich. Now, I'm not sure how, but the eldest son had actually been allowed to take one course at a local community college, and the other students reported that uh, when food was served, like when there was free food, this young man would stand at the table and simply eat continuously as if he'd never seen food before. At this point, the children were only allowed out at nighttime, The kids were so completely isolated, they didn't know what the word medication meant. They didn't know really who police were. And this brings us to the 13th of January, 2018. One of the girls, a 17-year-old, made another break for freedom. Originally, two of them left, but one had to turn around after getting lost. This seventeen-year-old somehow managed to make a call to nine one one, on a discarded phone of her mother's. Nine one emergency. What are you reporting? Um. well uh, This is nine one one. Do you have an emergency? Uh. I just ran away from home because I live in a family of fifteen. Okay. Can you hear me? And we have abusing parents. Did you hear that? Okay. how did they abuse you? Okay, they hit us, they throw us across, they like throw us across the room. They pull our hair, they, they yank out our hair. I have two, more, my two little sisters right now are chained up. Okay, how and old they, are you? I'm 17. What's your name? Golden Turpin. What's your address? Okay, you got me. Give me a minute. This going to take a while. I've never been out. I don't go out much, so I don't know anything about the streets or anything. Does anybody at the house take any kind of medication? Oh, uh, I don't know what medication is. When police arrived, they were confused because the girl who had identified herself as 17 appeared no more than 10 years old. She told the officers that she and her siblings were chained to their bed for 20 hours a day. She explained to the officers plights of sexual, physical, emotional, and mental abuse, as well as all-around neglect, which isn't even possibly a strong enough word. The kids were discovered by police chained to their beds. Well, they looked like children. The oldest was 29 years old and weighed 82 pounds. Seven of the children discovered were legal adults, though none had the appearance as such. They were in the worst states some medical personnel had ever seen, and some state they will never get the images of these children out of their heads. Louise and David were arrested immediately. Their counts were torture, false imprisonment, child endangerment, child abuse, cruelty, as well as David being charged with a lewd act on a child under the age of 14. While they originally pled not guilty, they eventually took a plea deal, which stipulated 25 years to life, meaning that the kids would never have to testify. This is why the details are so sketchy, But it's probably the best for the kids. And while never released, the children who were literate wrote down all of their happenings in journals. And these journals have never been released. I don't know if that's something the normal person could stomach ever being able to read. The kids did read victim impact statements, some even stating that they forgave their parents. This, for me, is a case for Stockholm Syndrome. While the person might be your tormentor, they're also your only lifeline to your necessities and the only interaction you receive. The parents also gave a statement saying that they had the best intentions. I'm sure you can guess my opinion on that statement. It is downright infuriating. So where are the Turpin 13 now? All made wonderful recoveries physically, thank goodness. But there's much more to recovery than physical. Some of the older kids live together. Some live independently. For their sake, we don't know where they all are now. And because of privacy, it should be protected. I can only hope that they continue to flourish. And the people who put them through this nightmare the people that should have loved them above all things continue to remain in prison and fully accept their responsibility for the heinous crimes they performed on their very own children thanks for joining me today i'll get busy on our next story but in the meantime drop me a line at coffee crime story time at gmail.com Tell me a story, and maybe I'll share it on an upcoming episode. You can find me on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Please remember to rate and review if you can, and if you like what you hear, please consider supporting the podcast in the links below in the description. And as always, until next time.